Thank you. I told Mike earlier that's the first time that I've ever been called a cowboy in a pastoral prayer, and I like it. <laughs> this morning we're going to be in the book of Ruth, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're using a pew Bible, it's found on page 222. We are continuing our series, Better Together, looking at gospel friendships in a lonely age. And we're shifting gears a little bit as we're going to be looking at an Old Testament story today. So we'll refer back all of, to all of Ruth chapter 2, but I'm only going to read a few sections of it. But we'll begin in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. And then skip down to verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So many of you probably know Butch Hardman. He was a longtime pastor here at McLean Presbyterian Church. He and his wife Peggy are still Uh, faithfully participating in the life of his church, and Butch was known to mentor a lot of young guys, and I had the fortune of being one of those when I moved here a few years ago. He would meet with all the young guys and share just a wealth of knowledge that he'd accumulated over his lifetime. He particularly helped me out doing weddings because weddings can be really challenging because you're speaking to a lot of different people who think a lot of different things about Jesus. And so he gave me this great line. 
when you're getting ready to give the charge or the wedding homily or the wedding sermon, whatever you want to call it, he said, use this line. He said, the bride and groom, whatever their names are, agree and have asked me to encourage and exhort them during this point in the service. And they are allowing the rest of you to eavesdrop. I feel like I could say the same thing today that the Lord and James have asked me to exhort and challenge you concerning this topic of justice, particularly for Christians, and the rest of you get to eavesdrop. Now, my task today is that whether you are a follower of Jesus or a follower of mom, whatever brought you to church today, my task is to connect the beauty of grace with justice that is both clarifying for one and compelling for the other. We want to be really clear about the connection between grace and justice. That when the Spirit enables us to understand what Jesus has done for us, the result is a life that is poured out in deeds of justice and mercy. And we want this message to be compelling as well too. That the God of the Bible is not a God of injustice and violence, but He actually gives us everything, motivation, guidance, inner joy, and power to live a life of justice and mercy. You see, the theme of this whole series has been that we're better together. And this is what I know. Those who get grace the most befriend the vulnerable. And those that befriend the vulnerable get grace the most. We're better together when we're in relationships like these. Three quick points about justice today. We want to see justice displayed, we want to hear justice explained, and then we want to see justice applied. First, justice displayed. So we've warped into the story of Ruth, so let me set the context for you. The story in Ruth chapter 1 begins with unrest in Israel. There's a famine in the land, and so one Israelite man chooses to move to the nearby country of Moab with his wife and two sons. There, his two sons get married, but not long after, this man and his two sons die, leaving behind Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Now, you need to understand that during this time, women would have been especially vulnerable because they didn't have power They didn't have influence, and they didn't have protection. And so without means for security, Naomi decides to return back to Israel, and one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, chooses to accompany her. When they arrive back in Israel, we are told earlier in the text that Naomi is bitter and depressed. She's described as feeling empty and hopeless. So you could summarize chapter 1 as there's no spouse to love, no work to provide for them, and there's no land to live. That Ruth and Naomi are vulnerable. We see this further in chapter 2, which is what we just read. We see the vulnerability of Ruth. We see this single woman go out for the day to try to find food to feed herself and Naomi. 
And we see a few words that describe her vulnerability in the text. The first word that's used over and over to describe her is that she's a stranger. Specifically, she's a Moabite. Now, who is a Moabite? You'd have to go back to Genesis 19 and read about Abraham, who's kind of the George Washington of Israel. He basically had an outcast cousin who got blackout drunk one night, slept with his daughter, got her pregnant, and the name of their child, Moab. Think your family's dysfunctional? Meet the Old Testament. (laughs) The Moabites were descended from Moab, from this child, and they became a traditional military enemy of Israel. And for centuries, they fought back and forth. And even on one occasion, if you go back and read Numbers 25, the Moabite women contributed to the death of 24,000 Israelite men. The history between Moab and Israel was one of scandal, fighting, and death. It was an understatement to say that Ruth was a stranger in the land. She was at the bottom of the pecking order. But not only was she a stranger, we know from the text that she's a widow. She has no father or brother in Israel and lived in a corrupt time. A modern example might be a female slave separated from family, exposed to all kinds of sexual violence, or a trafficked girl with no protector. This was what it was like for Ruth. But in addition to being a stranger and a widow, we're also told that she was poor. She had no money and no way to provide for herself. And not only herself, but her mother-in-law is depressed And so Ruth is left trying to provide for her as well. So in summary, Ruth is a stranger that people avoid, a widow easily taken advantage of, and living in the kind of poverty where you beg for scraps. She is vulnerable. But what we also see in chapter 2 is we see the friendship of Boaz, who's described as a worthy man, and acts with kindness towards this Moabite woman. What does he specifically do? In verses 9 through 11, he welcomes the stranger. He sees her, he notices her, and he honors her. He gives her dignity and affirmation and kindness as an act of friendship before there was ever any romantic interest. I love that he sees her. We all know what it's like to want to be seen. I have three little boys, as you heard in the prayer. There's not a day goes by that one of them doesn't say, Daddy, watch me, waving to me now. Or I have to admit, I also like watching The Voice, because I love seeing Blake and Adam go back and forth. And this season, they have Alicia Keys on there. And the premise of this show is they basically bring aspiring musicians who sing, and then they get to select a coach. And the coaches have to basically compete to be uh, selected. And Alicia Keys, after they sing, always looks at the artist and says, I see you. I get you. I know you. Pick me. And they do. Every time. I love it. (laughs) And I was meeting with a man recently who was going through uh, an especially difficult time in work when he was working 
long hours and felt underappreciated. And a coworker and a friend took him out to dinner. And they told him, I see you. And I know what you're doing. How powerful is it to be seen and to be noticed? Boaz saw Ruth in this story. He welcomed the stranger. But not only did he welcome the stranger, he protects the widow. In verse 8, he calls her daughter, which indicates that she is not alone. And he tells her to stay in his fields where she can be protected in verse 9. He protects the widow. And in addition to this, he also provides for her for the poor. Boaz doesn't just say, hey, you can glean in my field, but he says, leave the best stuff for her in verse 16. And she goes home with a month's worth of wages for a day's work. He was very generous to the poor, so much so in verse 19 that Naomi is shocked. And Ruth tells her that Boaz welcomed me, protected me, and provided for me. Boaz is a friend to the vulnerable and Naomi. It's very clear in this story that you see justice displayed. But what does that mean for us? Let's look at the second point. Justice explained. Look down in the text with me at verse 12. We didn't read it, but it's really important. Verse 12, this is Boaz talking with Ruth, and this is what he says. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Boaz is saying, don't thank me. Thank the Lord God because He is the one. I am simply the conduit of the Lord's kindness to you and you have taken shelter under His wings. And so it's very clear to see in this text a little bit about the heart of God. That God has a heart of justice for the vulnerable. Now what about the heart of God? We heard about it in the call to worship in Psalm 68 that God is introduced as the father of the fatherless, a protector of the widows, and a provider for the poor. This is the way that he's described all throughout the Bible. Let me just give you one other place so you know that I'm not making it up. Psalm 146. He, God, executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Friends, make no mistake about it. God identifies with the vulnerable. He takes up their cause and He stands out from all, from every other ancient cultural God. Every other ancient cultural God favored the powerful, the rich, and the strong. And this biblical God stands out from contemporary worldviews that say the strong eat the weak. You see, in the Bible, the strong take care of the weak. So we see the heart of God that He is a friend to the vulnerable. But what about this word justice? We've been using this word justice over and over. Now justice is not just on the outskirts of the Bible. The word justice is used over 200 times in the Old Testament. 
What does it mean? It means to treat people equitably. One pastor defined it this way. Justice is giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. And there's several groups of people that are always mentioned in the Bible. One theologian called them the quartet of the vulnerable. What was this quartet? The widow, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. Each of these groups had no social power. And they were days away from starvation if there was any unrest at all in the land. And Ruth is a combination of all of the quartet. Poor, widowed, orphaned, and a stranger, fatherless. This theme of justice is central to the Bible. Now some of you might say, hey, that's all Old Testament stuff. Mm -mm. Look at James 2. What does James say? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It is a central theme of the Bible that the God of the Bible has a heart of justice for the poor. And friends, if you claim to follow this God of the Bible, then we must mirror, mirror His heart for the poor. Now it's not easy It's not easy to welcome strangers, to love people who are not like you. It's really inconvenient to care for orphans and foster kids. And it's hard and much, it's it's much easier to look out for our own needs than it is for someone else. And you know what? I think most of us know about the needs that exist in our world. I think most of us even know what we ought to do. But the problem is, most of us lack the motivation to do anything about it. This is something that even non-Christians have recognized. There's a former professor at Yale Law School by the name of Arthur Leff who wrote, Looking around the world, it appears that if all men are brothers, the ruling model is Cain and Abel. Neither reason nor love or even terror seems to have worked to make us good. And worse than that, there is no reason why anything should. He's saying all these things haven't worked. Guilt, fear, pride, they won't sustain you. And better yet, there's no reason why anything should. We are educated beyond our obedience when it comes to befriending the vulnerable. And Christians... We have a better motivation. We have the best motivation. Something that's lasting more than simply Sarah McLaughlin singing on a commercial about abused animals angel. We have a better motivation that enables us to live a life of befriending the vulnerable. What is it? Well, we get a clue in the story of Boaz. Now, who is Boaz? If you look him up in the New Testament, he's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Now, who's his great-grandmother? Who's, his, who's in his family tree? It's Rahab. Now, we've preached a couple of sermons about Rahab, so you're probably familiar with her. She was a prostitute. She was a foreign prostitute who rescued the Israelite spies, and then her family was saved from destruction. Can you imagine what it was like for Boaz to grow up as the son of a foreign prostitute? Can you imagine that he experienced what it's like to be an outsider, a stranger, a vulnerable young kid. 
And here's what I think that Boaz knew. Boaz had been befriended by God before he was able to befriend Ruth. Now that message is consistent with the Old Testament as well. Because if you look throughout the Old Testament, God is continually telling the Israelites. He comes up with all these civil laws to care for the vulnerable. And then he gives them a reason why. So at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 24, he basically says, Do not deprive the fatherless, the sojourner, and the widow of justice. He says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And that... And that is why I am commanding you to do the same. God is telling them, you were slaves in Egypt, and I rescued you. I cared for you. I brought you to the promised land. I defeated your enemies, and I blessed you to prosper. And I want you to care for the vulnerable so that you will remember that you were vulnerable, that you are vulnerable, and that you will display my love for the vulnerable by the way that you treat those around you. Because God befriended the vulnerable Israel, Israel was to befriend the vulnerable. Now what's true of Boaz, what's true of Israel, is also true for us. Because that's our story as well. We too were the vulnerable, spiritually speaking. We are exiled from God. We are slaves to sin. We are widows who have forsaken the love of God. We are orphans separated from the Father's household. And we need a better Boaz. And we have one. Same punchline to every sermon. His name is Jesus. And when he shows up in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he came to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. He came to love the vulnerable. But more than that, he also came to be vulnerable. Think about this. Jesus himself was a stranger. He was a stranger in his own family and in his own hometown. Isaiah tells us he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet what? Yet Christ did not withhold love from those who rejected and persecuted him. Jesus was single and misunderstood and left to die by his closest friends. Yet Christ didn't withhold love from even the undeserving. Jesus was poor and dependent on others for his daily bread. Yet Christ did not look at those and say, not my money and my blood because they are my own. But he willingly laid down his life and shed his blood for us. Jesus lost his closest relationship on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He became fatherless in that moment. Jesus Christ himself became vulnerable. He gave much, often, and freely to the poor, undeserving, and thankless. Friends, do we see ourselves as we truly are? Strangers, orphans, widows, and poor. You see, until we know that we are the vulnerable, loved by the vulnerable Jesus, we won't live a life of justice to the fullest extent. And until we are renewed by this gospel, day by day, thinking about what Jesus has done on our behalf, we will not be very committed to the vulnerable, at least not for the long haul or for the right reasons. 
But here's what I know. And here's what I rehearse every day. That I was once vulnerable. That I was a stranger outside His family. That I was without hope. That I was without God. But He brought me near through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and adopted me into His family. And He calls me His friend and beloved. Friends, we can't begin to befriend the vulnerable until we've been befriended as the vulnerable. And when we understand this, then it's easy to apply justice. Third and final point. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've probably heard something like this said. That we love because we are loved. We forgive because we're forgiven. And we serve because we've been served. You know, the opposite is also true. He who has been loved little, loves little. He who forgives little has been forgiven little. He who serves little has been served little. You see, all throughout the Bible, gospel justice reveals true faith. And a lack of justice is a sign that worshiper hearts are not right with God. The covenant community Israel was charged to be a community of justice and mercy that would be compelling and beautiful to the nations around them. And church, McLean Presbyterian, we are called to be a covenant community of justice and mercy so that the world sees the beauty of Christ by the love that we have for one another. You see, it makes sense. Imagine a pastor that preaches eloquently, but then you hear that he abuses his wife. It's the same for a church that preaches grace, but does not extend justice. If we don't befriend the vulnerable, we veil the beauty of the Lord from the eyes of the world. And we're blessed. We're really blessed at the legacy at MPC for almost 75 years. A legacy that includes extending justice and mercy to the vulnerable. Even as I looked what we currently do in missions, we support 38 local and global partners that serve orphans, traffic victims, elderly, widowed, jobless, sick, homeless, prisoner, disabled, sexual strugglers, hungry, and the poor in word and deed through pregnancy centers, schools, shelters, financial aid, medical treatment, shelter, advocacy, and friendship. And we have a deacon's fund. You know that awkward time once a month when we collect a second offering with our communion? I don't apologize for it. Why? Because we want to be a generous church. And we have been. Since 2013, you have given $652,425 to the Deacon's Fund that comes alongside families and individuals to meet a number of temporary financial needs in our church and in our community, such as rent, groceries, health care bills, and other challenges. And that doesn't even begin to talk about everything that all the individuals do in this church, whether foster care or through their vocation or simply by loving their neighbors. Yes, I know I said healthcare beers. I know, see some of you smiling there. We'll delete that from the, uh, the audio. The point is this. Church, let the world experience the beauty of Jesus Christ 
by befriending the vulnerable. Look for the stranger who doesn't belong in your neighborhood. Kids, look for the classmate who nobody wants to sit with and befriend them. Protect daughters and sisters in our community from objectification and dehumanization. Change your spending habits so that you have more to share with the poor. Work for the nurture and protect the unborn, the defenseless, and the fatherless. If you don't know where to start, buy a pack and play or a child's car seat for one of the pregnancy centers. If you don't have enough money, join together with one of your community groups and give $5. It's a big problem, but start small. Friends, are we living lives of justice that makes Jesus beautiful to the world, that they may not like our theology, but they can't do without our ethics? Are we a friend to the most vulnerable, the marginalized members of our society? Justice applied. Be encouraged by all that this church body is doing. Work tirelessly and hope and place your hope in what Jesus will finish when He comes back. Last and final thought. I love that Boaz sent Ruth home with a plentiful sack of barley in verse 17. It didn't solve all our our needs, but it was a foretaste of what God was going to do for her. You see, friends, as we go out and minister to the world in justice and mercy, in Jesus' name, We want to say this is not right. And we want to give them a foretaste of justice and say, please take this in Jesus' name. And one day, someday, He's coming back. And He's coming back with the feast of Revelation 19 and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And do you know where you're going to dwell? If you place your faith in Him, you will dwell in the city of refuge in Revelation 21 known as the New Jerusalem where there will be no more vulnerable, no orphans, no widows, no poor, no foreigners. Why? Because God is in our midst and He has done away with the presence of evil forever. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May His kingdom come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that whether we're a follower of Jesus or just a follower of mom today, that we would be compelled by the beauty of Jesus, that you became vulnerable for the vulnerable, that you rescued us out of our poverty, that you redeemed us from slavery, that you are doing mighty works in our midst that are signposts to what you will do one day, someday, when you come back. And so, Father, we cry, Hosanna. And we fall before you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.